All right, folks, before we get to the main event, I want to tell you about our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you've heard me talk about them before. They're great friends of OGGN. They do great things for the industry, and you probably know them for their subsea business. But did you know that Technip FMC also has a fantastic set of offerings for surface applications? And the one I want to tell you about right now is called eMission. Technip FMC eMission. Now, this is their latest innovation for reducing emissions and flaring. Emission is amazing. It uses process automation, wireless instrumentation, and machine learning all wrapped up into one solution that will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. Technip FMC Emission. You can learn more about it on the Technip FMC website, which is, of course, technipfmc.com. Look for Emission. under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly its own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right, folks, we are uh, here. I'm back. Uh, well, I've been here all day, but I'm back doing another episode at the Hilton Americas uh, here in uh, beautiful downtown Houston, right next to the George R. Brown Convention Center. Um, and uh, so there's an event going on, the IoT event, and I'm here with David, and I forgot to ask you how to say your last name. Hate. Hate. It is Hate, right? Opposite so, love, so, just like in yeah. San Francisco. Like, like, oh, yeah, right, like Haight-Ashbury, right? Yeah. It's the same spelling. Right? It is. Yeah. And so David and I uh, uh, were, we just met yesterday, um, uh, introduced by a mutual friend who's also named David. Yes. Um, uh, he's not getting on the podcast, by the way. So Dave, David Olson, if you're listening... I'm not. Yeah, you're not next. I'm not letting. I'm not letting you on. But uh, but he introduced us. You're working for uh, Global Star Satellite Company. But um, I. Uh, uh, by the way, how's the conference going for you? I, I know you're. You get your bags, so you're headed yeah. out. Did you? Is it a win? No, it's been a good conference. Yeah. Um, you know, it's my first time here. Um, we do a lot in oil and gas, and this was a first time for me to be part of this conference, and it was great for me personally as well as you know. From the company perspective, is how we start to get introduced, meeting yeah. people like yourself and right, others right. in the industry. It's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I think the the turnout's been pretty good, especially. Mm-hmm. You know, I wondered a little bit, um, and of course, Simon Simon Rubens, who heads the Energy Conference Network. Um, uh, we, yeah, we know we know Simon at OGGN, and and, uh, and I thought, you know, eighth annual IoT. I know IoT has been the, the 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 big one; it's been very popular, but I wonder, like, eighth annual, like, IoT is not a new topic anymore. So, um, and, w- and we could talk about how companies are, you know, we can get into the details of what, but, like, people, I thought, you know, people aren't going to show up at conferences, at a conference to find out what's IoT all about. Well, they, hopefully they shouldn't, and they wouldn't yeah, be. Yeah, right. Um, 
You're right, though. It has, it's not new. Uh, I, I started in IoT before it was actually called IoT. It was back in about 2010. Have you noticed that, that everything is was something else before yes. it was called whatever it is now? Yeah, yeah. it was called machine to machine. It was called right. uh, emerging devices. It was called a number of different things back yeah. in those times. And it, interestingly, back then, we were trying to determine how do you define something like IoT because we knew it was evolving right. and coming. But uh, we were defining it back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did it? Uh, well, I guess. Um, well, I guess the thing that makes it IoT is it's internet, right? So that's the new sort of common way of. Yeah. So how did we? So I'm trying to think. How did we move stuff around? When it was machine to machine, but you didn't have the internet as sort of the common fabric. Yeah. How did you move stuff around? Well, you know, it you know kind of comes back to really kind of two basic use cases. One is infrastructure based. In other words, in building or around buildings, then that there was data that needed to be connected, manufacturing, right. campus, and so forth. And that's it was one of the threads that started to develop. The other was the mobile side. So we had started, you know, the fleet management piece was one of the early IoT use cases that started to, to evolve and because that was mobile-based. So you yeah. had data that you wanted to either access or create in fleets from transportation, vehicles, and so forth. And that's really where some of the early use cases started to come. Yeah. So there's really this infrastructure-based IoT and mobility-based IoT. Yeah. And they started to converge and interact between the two of them. And we had, when we had telecom before we had... Right. Yeah. Well, and you're a, you're a telecom guy from way... But I skipped over the part where we talk about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're a te- I, I, I had a few minutes to do a little bit of homework on you. You're a telecom guy from way back, right, right. basically. Um, and, um, uh, and you've worked... Uh, besides, I, I know many years with AT&T, but you also... I think you did some consulting where you worked with a bunch of other... Um, uh, you know, kind of all the usual suspects, right? Yeah, so I, I did. I, I spent over 20, 20 years at AT&T working on, on, clearly on the wireless mobility side and had no experience on kind of the legacy business there. All of that, all those years were on the wireless side. And so from the beginning saw the development and evolution of wireless and it led to a couple of key events uh, during that process. One was the Apple iPhone uh, launch, which I was very much involved in, and then secondly was the development of the IoT group at AT AT&T back in those, about 2010 is when we started really working on it. Yeah. And during that time, that evolution of IoT uh, is really kind of where we, I started to uh, help define some of those areas, smart cities to, right, uh, right. I, you know, the iPad and everything else in between, and we started to understand what IoT was going to be about. When I retired from AT&T, uh, then moved on into consulting and ended up consulting around IoT, both from a device and a software perspective, and then moved into working for two software companies yeah. in the telecom space, in the IoT space, and now moved over to GlobalStar, and GlobalStar is a uh, mobile uh, satellite service provider, so we own our satellite constellation, it's a low orbit low Earth orbit satellite constellation. And we own the uh, ground stations. So we provide an end-to-end solution of 
IoT connectivity. So that's what I've now moved into. So I had the cellular background. Yeah. Now I got satellite, satellite. Yeah, yeah. and kind of seeing how they kind of come together. So I want to back up to one thing because you said it very nonchalant, like it was nothing. But in that very, you, you said it's like, and I launched the iPhone. So what, <laughs> how? Number one, that must have been a fun time. Uh, what, what all? So, so how, how did you launch? Yeah, how did so you launch the, there's got to be a story there. Yeah, there, well, there's lots of stories. Yeah, there's probably, uh, probably. Which ones can you talk yeah, about? Okay. Yeah, is the question. <laughs> so back in 2005, um, uh, Apple uh, was developing what they wanted to do in connecting some of their devices to uh, cellular networks, and so they began a process of evaluating what that looked like from a device perspective and what it yeah. looked like to who to partner yeah, yeah. with. And so we spent um, over two years engaged with Apple in a negotiation of you know, presenting why AT&T would be the right partner. Our That's right, because it was only AT&T in the beginning, right? It, yes. When it first launched, it was just AT&T. Yeah, we yeah. ended up with a three-year exclusivity with Apple for the iPhone as a result yeah, of this I process. Yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. And that process took us around two years to negotiate that um, that deal with Apple versus our competitors in the, in the marketplace. Um, Apple then decided to launch the iPhone with AT&T. Uh, it took us about a year after that to actually bring the two organizations together, which was my, my project to launch with, a, with Apple. And we brought the organizations together to launch the first iPhone. What year was that? Um, Seven? It, yeah. 2007. 2007, yeah. And, um, it's been a long time already. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah. interesting how it all kind of yeah. came together. And so, and then once we put that all together, we actually created a number of new ways in which people would use a device on a cellular network. Um, interestingly, apps weren't even part of that first iPhone launch and it weren't was not part of the process. Um, Apple um, had... Uh, plans for apps, but they developed rather quickly once the developers got hold of what this could be. Yeah. And for both of us, it, ch it changed and accelerated very, very quickly. And now we all know what happened with apps and how that became a major part of how smartphones evolved. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I honestly, I wonder sometimes, especially the, the youngest generation on iPhones right now, do they even know that it's a phone? I'm not sure that they, <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh yeah, you can, you can make phone calls on this thing, right? Yeah, it's uh, not, you know, the, everything else is so much more important. All right, um, uh, that's interesting though. I had, I'd forgotten about it being, it was AT, how long, it was, so what you said, it was three years? Three years. So it was three years yeah. before you could get an iPhone. Anywhere uh, else other than, other and than when AT we launched it, it was US only. Yeah, that's right. You know, initially, and so we one of the biggest challenges that occurred was transshipping of iPhones around the world because it was not set up or designed to do that. Uh, and was that it was it was it GSM in the beginning, or it was it was cellular? What was the? Yeah, it was it was GSM. It was GSM. GSM. So you could do it in other yeah, countries. Yeah, obviously you could uh, right. utilize the GSM capabilities in other parts of, yeah. of the world, and then we evolved it from there. Right, um, and so that was originally Apple's rollout plan to launch in the United States first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, you're the first person I've, uh, I think I've met that had, was, you know, had the inside baseball on uh, on that. Okay, but uh, this is the oil and gas tech podcast, so we got to talk about oil and gas. 
Um, however, uh, I will say that, um, oh, and there's a, and you guys, so speaking of Apple, uh, Global Star had, had a, interesting and out it's been announced right it has it's been, been i know i know we can talk about it it's been yes. announced that um you're back in the kind of back in the saddle with apple again right um uh with this new satellite capability on the on the iphone 14 yes exactly so, 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 so let's talk about that for a minute and that'll sure. get us to oil and gas absolutely so we'll, we'll come around so last week apple did put an announcement out that part of the new iphone 14 version yes. that's 14 versions from that last one we were just talking about believe it or not ironically um, 15 years yeah, 14 versions yeah, it's pretty close it's pretty, to, it's pretty yeah, amazing yeah um we'll have satellite communication technology uh in the phone itself that allows the phone to connect to a satellite network which happens to be the global star network on a global basis um so no matter where the user is they'll have access to our network and uh, the primary use case uh, that Apple has announced is for emergency SOS capabilities. And they've been very specific about how that'll work and how their service will work. And that's the connection. Now, what's great- so, that, so that's the only thing, really, initially. Yeah, it really is. And it is the first smartphone to have this capability. Uh, talk directly to this. That's exactly so, right. so for those who maybe haven't really thought about this, the, the GPS in your phone allows you to, like, the satellite to know where you are. Correct. Right, but you're not, you know, you're not talking to this. You're not communicating. Right. And this yeah. is really about text messaging to, to launch. Um, so that communication then becomes part of what service that uh, Apple will provide through that. And that really is the first to combine this in, this in the cell phone versus just a GPS tracker. Interesting, yeah. So now... When I heard this, the first thing I thought of was, because obviously you can see, oh, well, satellite means I can be connected anywhere, et cetera. Um, uh, maybe not under a bridge. I don't know if that matters. But, but, um, but the first thing I thought of was, we, we all just got excited about 5G. So, uh, so we're all excited about 5G. 5G now they're trying to figure out how to how to hide the antennas everywhere they need to be because you know they don't they don't throw very far. But um, so now we got we got like uh, hot 5G antennas disguised as light posts and and planters and things like this, right? Um, but we're we're all excited about it, and because it's and especially and this gets us into kind of the industrial <laughs> scenario too because it brings us this connectivity that we needed to do all of these great things that we want to do because why don't we want to have like a gigabit of bandwidth on our phone? But all of a sudden, so in the midst of all this excitement about 5G, satellite to the phone. So what, why is that exciting? Yeah, so there's a number of use case examples um, that where this applies and where, it, as you just pointed out, Michael, where it starts to apply to you on the commerce, commercial side of, of business. So. With a satellite-enabled device, um, it does need to have a line of sight to the satellite it serves. So right. that the first point is it does not work particularly well in building or in some circumstances. And so you do have to have line of sight. But for the most part, where, this, where satellite comes in is on the satellite grid, many times is off a cellular grid where there are no cell sites to be able to provide service. And that's really one of the first use cases. The second is kind of a redundancy to, to a cellular network. So if you happen to be, and most of it, and this has affected uh, many of us at different times, whatever service you may have with 5G or any other type of you know, LTE, 4G LTE, you may not have 
cellular service in a particular area where you might have an emergency. And that's yeah, really the use I case. Guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you look at um, how it applies to either consumers and, and commercial users today, so let me give you a couple of examples there. So on the consumer side, uh, there are many users that are off the grid as adventurists, um, outdoor enthusiasts that spend time away from in the mountains or wherever they may be that are off the cellular grid. And this is where one of the use cases that this applies. Yeah. We happen to have a product called Spot, Global Star Spot, okay. that meets the needs for those customers. It's a two-way messaging device, and we sell it through retail oh. locations um, you know, yeah. on a global basis for those enthusiasts, and that's what they use. They use a tracking messaging device so that when they're off the grid, they have communication. So kind of like the old, uh, I remember, I remember back in the day before we were texting on our phones, I had a uh, Skytel right. device with a little keyboard on it, a little thing flipped up, right? I could, that's right. Could send, could, I could send an email or right. a message to somebody, so. Yeah, yeah. and there's, there's capabilities around checking in and so forth and so on. Now the, and now this is how it starts to play to oil and gas. You know, oil and gas has a lot of remote workers. Yeah. Those that are out in oil fields and rigs and different parts of how, it, uh, you know, how workers are engaging in their day-to-day -day work. And we have that same spot device that is now on the hip or you know, on the shoulder of remote workers so that they can check in. They can communicate back and forth in a two-way mess text messaging uh, scenario so that um, if there are and there's also an SOS button emergency button so if they do have uh, an emergency they can get you know and with GPS they know we know exactly where they are they can connect immediately and get services and people yeah. to them immediately uh, interestingly our device has saved over over 8,000 at least those kind of SOS emergencies. So there's multiple people that have been affected and saved in, in some of those environments for just a emergency uh, use. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, you can communicate back and forth. Yeah. And are people you know, able to communicate to supervisors uh, and, and operations? Which has, so even beyond the safety implications, you, with all the emphasis that we're putting on with all the digital transformation the kinds of things that we're trying to do in field operations, digital OFA, you can immediately see all these ways of using that. I do want to ask a question, though, because, um, and, and I don't know, maybe, because I've been wondering about this, and, um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, uh, and maybe, maybe my faithful listeners are going to go, come on, you don't get this? But, and I, I know a little bit about satellite technology, because I think I mentioned when we talked yesterday, like, way back, way back, way, way, way back in the, like, early... 90s, I in the Air Force I did satellite communication. So, I, like I understand how it works, right? Um, and and you know, my so my question is, and I remember we used to like I worked on a a tactical satcom team where we had the the portable like the, the 20 foot dish but it like <laughs> like it broke down into pieces and was basically on the back of like a kind of a fancy trailer and you could put that thing up and you know and then we had the 60 foot dishes that were on top of permanent buildings and and then you know over time we got you know we got a little more lightweight so you got tv satellite antennas but it's still a it's still a dish that you gotta aim at a at a in a particular place right and and um and it's still just receiving so how did we get to where, and, uh, um, and I guess what made me think about this was 
the iPhone, but you guys already have a device that's doing this. How is a device, so just technologically, right. how is this little device talking to a satellite, communicating with a satellite, when typically we need like these rather bulky apparatus type of things to do it? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so it's a great question because it, there's, to answer that, there's a couple of factors that you need to from a technology perspective to answer that question. Well, first of all, in general, there are two types of satellite constellations that are used for communications that we're talking about. LEO, which is a low Earth orbit, is what our constellation is. Um, and the other is GEO, I which is the spy satellites right, are the stationary, way, right, which are yeah. much higher. Right. Um, ours are low Earth orbit, so, um, and the nature of how our satellites and ground stations are designed from an engineering perspective, and that architectural design allows for us to provide you know, a, bent, a, a bent pipe technology. Well, what that does uh, for us is yeah. it has imp uh, positive imp implications on power as well as uh, antenna bandwidth uh, utilization. So some of the, and, and latency, has lower latency. Right, right. So, so basically the answer to your question is that our devices, some of them are smaller than a smartphone. Um, some are slightly larger, and those that are larger than it have um, solar panels on them so that right. that becomes their source of energy. Yeah. So we are in the business of creating those devices as well as modules. We design them and manufacture them that work with our satellites. And so inside of those devices are antennas that work um, because of that, uh, our design and architectural engineering design of the way we use our satellite, low, low Earth orbit with our base stations as well as that bent pipe architecture. That allows us to have the antennas in those small devices. Um, so it's very different than trying to reach a satellite that's very high uh, in, in orbit uh, yeah, and yeah. with band, large bandwidth. Now the, large, the, the more bandwidth that you use, as in broadband, it does affect the antenna that you have to utilize in that device or outside of that device. Yeah. Ours is also small packet data which it allows us to do so. Right, right. Okay, so I get it. Because um, the other example I was thinking of was like the, like the old uh, like sat phone, right? We had to set it up and open up the, like, or, the, or like the seal phone. Um, so what you're saying, all right, I wasn't thinking about that. With a, so you're not really aiming at a geosynchronous no. satellite that, right? You're Ours, actually talking to over. a constellation. Yes. So are you talking to... To kind of is there kind of like a like a like a mesh out there that you're just sort of talking to and it picks it up wherever it is? Well, there's, or are you yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of different technologies, design architectural designs that used. Our satellites fly over top and our devices pick them up, and and the device uh, and ground station determine you know which satellite is being picked up and and so forth and so on. So in other words, they fly over the top. So the and device knows, like, here comes one. So it's a ground right. station, yes. Right. So does the satellite. That's correct. Wow. Now, they don't hand, our satellites don't hand off to each other in okay. a mesh environment, which is, there are some architectural designs that do that. Yeah. Ours will, the device will then pick up the, uh, the satellite as it goes over. And we, uh, and really a lot of the, the technology and engineering intelligence is in the ground station itself versus the satellite which is an important component of, 
of why our network works So the ground well. station, so is my device talking to the ground station or talking to the... Satellite down to the ground station. Right, but right. by the device in my hand, what's that? Talks, talk? to, talks to the satellite. Ah, I got it, okay. And then the satellite goes down to the ground station. Now, that then does... what does the ground station do with the, it? Now the ground station takes that information and then sends it back over uh, fiber and, and other technologies to data hubs, our data hub. Oh, yeah, Our data it, hub yeah, then it. takes that information and sends it over to endpoints. And an endpoint, so when you think about it end to end, we have devices and sensors mm -hmm. that are at the customer or the data generating point, which is the edge. Mm -hmm. And... I'll talk about that in a second, what that means. It goes over our satellite network to a ground station, ground station to, through our hub, and then we push it out to endpoints. And those endpoints mm -hmm. are customers and who many times are system integrators or enterprises themselves, take that data and then display it and use it in sure, AI. Sure, now, now it becomes part of the... Now right. it becomes a solution for, in our case here, in our vertical industry of oil and gas, can be used to say, how do we dis display pipeline management, tank management, uh, asset tracking, where are vehicles, where are certain assets, right. generators, All equipment. the stuff that we, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. how it gets, tr that smart data gets translated into an endpoint use case solution, and then data can then be utilized uh, and managed for very specific uh, operational intelligence. Yeah. So now, um, so so now, uh, I don't. If I've if got if got remote assets in oil and gas, um, we got a few of those. A couple. Oh, yeah. A few remote assets. Um, but I mean, I've heard this. I've heard this comment a lot over the last few years when we talk about all these, you know, fancy new things that we want to do in the digital oil field or whatever the the nom du jour is. But um, uh, and then, you know, there's usually somebody in the room who's kind of from the operations side who says, yeah, sounds good. What are you going to do for connectivity? Like, you know, even, even some places like in the Permian, right, or somewhere like, like I, I think most of that's pretty well connected now. But there, but there are times when it's like, and they'll look at you like, are you going to put a spool of cable in the back of your truck and run it out there? Like, exactly. what, how are you going to do it? Exactly. And uh, um, so, then, so then we end up waiting for those various infrastructure things, you know, whatever it is. Now it's 5G because we want the bandwidth, right. but whatever. Um, uh, or, you know, offshore. That's, offshore. Another, that's, another, mm -hmm. that's another difficult thing. Um, so with this, at least to the things, to, there's many high value, I guess what I'm hearing is, there are sufficient high-value use cases that don't require a huge pipe, but but can use this right. to solve that. Am I? Are we going down the right road? No, you are, and you've actually brought up probably three or four things to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So okay, let me good. just hit on a couple, and we can kind of that'll keep you going for a little dig, bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll dig into yeah. it as you yeah. you know as as you think is best. So. The first piece is, you know, we started to talk about is how satellite uh, connectivity helps connect those devices that are connected to assets, whether right. fixed or mobile or semi-mobile. In other words, a, an asset that moves for That's a, a good project. We, don't, we, we always think about the remote ones, but we don't always talk about the ones that move. That's correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple things happen. There are those that, if you think about the industry where you've got rigs and 
you know, drilling uh, sure. at the assets that are there, uh, pumping oil or accessing oil or gas. Um, they are fixed for a period of time, working for very, that asset is very, very important to measure and monitor what's coming out of that asset. And many times they are not in an area that's covered by cellular or some private network. Right. I'll circle back on that in a second. So that's where the satellite connectivity works. For those that are fixed for either a period of time or permanent, or those that are moving for a work, work site project, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Then there are machinery, vehicles that are moving in and out of areas. So right. you may have a piece of machinery that's in uh, a wireless or a private network area, and then moving out that would be covered by satellite. And tracking, monitoring what those assets may be doing is very, very important. So the majority of IoT use cases today, when you look at the number of devices that are out there and so forth, actually ha have a requirement for small packet data versus yeah. broadband. Right, right. And so uh, if you take tank monitoring, um, that is a small packet data use case that doesn't require a lot of bandwidth to get that data from that tank, whether it's a mobile tank or a fixed tank, mm -hmm. over a network and into a platform that has either alerts, notifications that are tied to that. Or it's doing some sort of processing to determine which data exactly. do I want and what do I not want and, where, and are that, the, where are the exceptions and things like that. Right? And that brings us to a very important point where we at GlobalStar are very focused on is edge computing right. and edge data management. And so it's creating and determining at the edge from the device. And our new devices now either have now brought even greater capabilities to manage data at the edge as to what data is relevant at this time. Right. So if you've got a temperature, let's say it's on a pipeline or in a, uh, and you're, manage, you're, you're measuring uh, temperature, you only need to really understand and send data on temperature when it either is trending in the wrong direction right. or it's already outside of some uh, guidance. Uh, right. You don't need to send all that data because it's not necessarily relevant but data. But you have to check all the data. Right. Like you have to, yeah, but you don't need to send it all to make the decision That's somewhere correct. else to make the decision. Right, and yeah, so yeah. we have a software uh, that we call Realm that actually helps manage that device and protocols as to when to send the data and what data to send versus not. So that's the difference between relevant and smart data. Coming back now to that endpoint to that customer solution, and now they're starting to look at not just all the data and trying to figure out what to do with it all, but what is the relevant smart data that they need. Now, the, the, the other thing that you mentioned is the, net, the convergence of networks. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, if you've got mobile de devices or mobile assets that are now, you know, need to be tracked and or monitored, mm -hmm. and they're moving in and out of a private network environment, which an, an oil, let's just say a refinery or an oil processing site or a work project site, in other words, a big, big enough oil uh, you know, development extraction sites, is that you might have a private network there, but then those devices will go outside of that, and how do you track or monitor yeah, once yeah. you get outside of it? So this is where the convergence and managing multiple networks is now a trend in the industry that is very important for oil and gas. Yeah, I could see that, and um, I hadn't really thought about that before, but um, there's, so there's lots of options, but that would also could create just a complete, um, it's a family-friendly show. I'm trying to find the nice word to say, <laughs> but it, it's a mess, right? Um, but 
I, it makes well, it's me, complicated. It is complicated. Um, but it also makes me think about this, which maybe 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 this is not a thing, but 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 you could tell me. Um, so, besides moving assets that are moving in and out and need to, you know, because what you want is what you want is sort of a seamless network, right? Even though it's physically different types of networks, different things, right? You want it to to sort of all act as like one one thing. Um, uh, but also, I think about like the prioritization. So, so you talk about convergence of networks, and we've mentioned how certain things have have you know you got high bandwidth, low bandwidth. But depending on what you're doing, maybe you need the higher bandwidth, maybe you don't. Um, so all of this uh, traffic is out there needing to go somewhere and be managed and handled. Um, and the prioritization of things probably like here's the, what I'm thinking about. Um, I think I mentioned this to you yesterday when we were chatting. But back in the back in the day when uh, we were in most large companies, we were just beginning to put a computer on everybody's desk, a PC. Everybody got a PC. That wasn't always a thing. Believe no, it or not, it was believe not. Believe it or not, it was. I didn't even have a PC when I first started yeah, working. You had to go down the hall to yes. the office. There was like an office on the corner, and you had to use it down there. And and, um, and then and then shortly after that, we got everybody's PC connected to the internet. So now you had. You know, uh, I know a company that I was working with at the time. This is the mid late '90s. We had two T1s coming into the building. This is a building. 1,200 people working in this building. <laughs> two T1 lines, right? Uh, which was 1.2 megabits, right? And not even. Right. That's not even enough. Like, like if you had that on your phone today, you wouldn't be happy. And. Um, and uh, but we were also so besides giving everybody the internet on their desk, uh, we were also. But we were. It was a financial company, so. Uh, we had to support like trade, like we had a trade trader trades desk, right? And so all of that's happening on the internet now, and um, and it was mutual funds. So all the so there were what we quickly found was that the um, you know, and this was just with a corporate WAN connected to mm -hmm. like uh, to a switch and two T ones to the internet. We quickly found that we needed something. To prioritize right. the traffic because yeah. not being able to process trades was like more important than whether somebody in a particular department could use the internet or not and and so this product came along and there were probably some others but the one that I remember was called Packet Shaper mm -hmm. and Packet Shaper allowed our network guys to prioritize at the packet level like at the network level what was going to get the the bandwidth and where the so I'm I'm like projecting that forward to the amount of complexity that we have now in an industrial setting where you you got different networks, different infrastructures, different like lots of I'm imagining there's lots of choices that could be made on yes. what you're gonna do, where you're gonna send it, and when you're gonna send it, and what can wait and what can't wait. Like like that's got to be infinitely more complex now than it was for our simple it situation. It is back a lot then. more complex, and that is a big part of what network management data manages all about today and by the way as you pointed up you made me think of is i remember when i got my first pc yeah uh working for a major telecom company um i still had to write a memo 
print out the memo <laughs> and right. put it in an envelope yeah. that and put it on my desk and like three times a day right. someone would come around and pick up the envelopes right. and deliver it to different people yes. because there was no email there was right. no way to connect all of those right, things right. we've come a long way we have come a long way so, that is very true but uh, as you pointed out but that's that is exactly what it is about and it and it's about prioritization uh, about what data information is most important in a time frame and so forth. And some of it can be sent, either a notification or an, uh, or an alert can be sent in a small packet data versus right. saying that at some point, whether you move the asset into another environment or use a different network to send more data, as a result of an alert or notification. So right now, that's a big part oh, of yeah, what's happening. Yeah, so they happening. kind of chain together. So there's an be. event or some sort of notification, and right. it can go, it can use the cool satellite thing because it's very small, small. Right. But 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 what that triggers could be something. So that has to be orchestrated. Very much so when it comes to, yeah. especially with vehicles or moving assets that are going to move in and out of different. Uh, networks, you can then determine when that device or that asset has data that needs to be sent over a different, and that could be a more efficient use of spectrum, mm -hmm. which means it could mm -hmm. be less costly versus certain choices. Oh, so that's a whole other variable. So now you have, that's yes, right. right. So yeah. there's the least cost routing is one of those terms that's used, right, right. and there's a lot of planning that goes into that, and we're working with a number of companies that have vehicles that are moving in and out of different uh, networks and how do they manage that. So that convergence is accelerating now and there's next generation of hardware and software that we're all developing and the industries are developing so that we can manage that data more effectively and efficiently. Again, lower cost, create greater um, operational efficiencies and quite frankly operational intelligence yeah I can see a whole um, not, not that we're not that we're creating new business models but uh, right at this moment but I like I could see a great opportunity for a managed service for all of that right like like let's just let um, as much as I know all my infrastructure friends hate to hear this right but that sounds like a job for let's hire somebody, let's get an SLA in place, and and if if it doesn't go well, we got one throat to choke, right? So exactly. Is it, is that it's, it, yeah, it's interesting. Yes, that's exactly it. And it's interesting. I'll give you two examples. The first is around infrastructure versus mobile. Kind of mentioned it before. Right, right, right. And as I've had some of these conversations with those that are managing infrastructure IoT data and big volumes of it, I yeah. mean, huge terabytes of data. And they look at the world very differently. And when you come in and say, well, what about when assets move in and out of those infrastructure environments? How are you managing that? And some are managing it today, many are not. Mm. And it's scratched, you know, people who start thinking, huh, you're right. The other is when I've had conversations with my good friends in the old, in the cellular business. Yeah. And the wireless guys kind of go, I've heard this many times, you, what do you mean satellite? I've never heard any of my customers talk about satellite. Well, the reason is you don't provide a service that they can use. They're talking <laughs> yeah. to us. Yeah, that would. And right. so it's not that would, imagined. That would tamp down the conversation opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not a matter of <laughs> us or them or that or this. It's a matter of how does it converge? Because that end user, that customer, needs to look at infrastructure 
mobility between networks. Now they have to, how do they start to work together? Yeah, it's incredibly complex. But I think what I would want, if I were, uh, if I were running a, uh, you know, particularly, I could see where even, so in oil and gas, perhaps maybe the service companies even more than the operators, because a lot of this stuff ultimately is handled by the service companies, right? Um, I know operators do a lot of their own stuff, but, but if I were running a, a service company and I had, so I, my world is already complex enough, you know, and the whole, like, managing all those, like the, the asset management, uh, and there's lots of new digital capabilities for asset and predict, and I'm worried, I'm thinking about predictive maintenance and I'm thinking about operator rounds and I'm thinking about all mm -hmm. these things, all right? That. And well, like what I would want to do is say, okay, you guys are the satellite people and you guys are the cellular people and you guys are the guys with the spool of cable in the back of your truck. Um, what of you needs to manage it all for me? Well, that's exactly right? it. And that's where, you know, a lot of the conversations that are now are starting to really accelerate inside of our industry and other vertical industries outside of oil and gas as well. Um, and those of us that provide, you know, connectivity services, those that provide platform software services and hardware services, we have to come together and yeah. solve some of those problems for our customers because those that are out there in the field managing operations need us to solve it for them. We'll understand their use cases. They obviously will make it clear to us what they need solved, but we have to come together yeah. as an industry and yeah. solve those problems for them. Yeah, yeah, so, um, which, you know, of course, we're all in favor of partnerships and alliances, and mm -hmm. there's, there's people who are in charge of that for, uh, I think that, that's part of you, that's, that's part of your job. That's what right? I do. That's, that's your, yeah, yeah so, um, um, but the funny thing, so in my experience with uh, tech companies and consulting companies and partnerships and alliances is there, um, many times they don't work to, to achieve a goal like you just described. Like what the customers need is this, so we're gonna work together as a team. To, what they usually end up being is, who can, which of your customers can you introduce me to, and which right. of my customers can I introduce right. you to? And that will always right? be a piece of it, because I think that that's where you kind of come together, and where do we work best together in these use cases where we identify, and how do we kind of right. bring a... The whole better together yeah. story, yes. right? Is, but you, you bring up a really interesting point, because you know I've been at this a long time, and so in the early days, you know what we found was that... Uh, those use cases needed to be developed from a perspective of more than one point of view because that's what the user really needs. Yeah. They have multiple assets or capabilities that need to be brought together. Sure. You can look at it as simply as hardware and software coming together and how do you come up with those right, things. Right, right, right. Right? But it's that par those partnerships... They're, hard, they're not easy to do. They are a little more challenging to do because you have to find good common ground where the value proposition yeah. together meets the value, the value that the customer creates. Now, fundamentally, there are two ways to do it. One is, is that you bring, you, you get people together that say, let's go create a problem. Let's, you know, let's try to solve a problem that we know that exists out there. Let's go solve it together and let's bring and it to the market. You do like a consortium around yeah. that or something. And, and you bring right, it and, yeah. and a lot of companies do that. It's, you know, sometimes they can be very engineering centric mm -hmm. and they say, hey, we're gonna, we've just solved this problem and we're going to go sure. out. Now we're sure. going to bring it to the marketplace. 
I have found that the better way to go about it is, is that you mentioned, is that you identify from a customer perspective, yeah. work with a customer and say, what is it that you need to solve from lowering costs, generating revenue, creating greater operational efficiencies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you try to solve it with them from the customer back into the technology. Yeah. Then you bring the technology out. Those I have witnessed have been uh, better so, uh, at, a, at solving the problem. So I'm with you on that. I want to ask this though. Do, do the customers have the patience for that? <laughs> because a lot of times yeah. people want you to walk in like, I want you to already have a solution yeah. to my problem. Well, they do. And uh, that, that's exactly, so part of the answer to that is how cutting edge are you? If you are really kind of out there on the edge, um, you're going to need to kind of be able to understand what a customer problem is before you bring it out to the market. Right, because they don't have time for like the whole imagine what I could do with this right. kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and that is a way to go about it. I, I remember when, I'll use the example, when we did the iPhone, uh, one of the first questions I happened to ask, um, you know, some of the Apple folks, uh, Steve Jobs and um, a couple of his marketing folks, I asked, well, what kind of research have you done on the iPhone to determine what the customers want? And his response they was really fascinating. They didn't do any. <laughs> they didn't do any. Right. Yeah, and I he said, because, yeah. um, you know, we can't, ask a, we can't ask a question of someone that they can't give us the, an answer to. Right. And so you're absolutely right. There is an element there of making sure that you bring to market a solution that a customer then can say, well, I think that works, but this doesn't. And, and that's the feedback. Right. You know, my suggestion was you don't go to them with a blank whiteboard, a blank piece of paper. You go to them with a solution and say, if we did this for you, how, what right. would that mean to you? What would you like us to change and so forth? So you can't go to them with a blank piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, no, that, that I have experienced uh, that as well. My, my, uh, my favorite story in that regard is uh, actually from a friend of mine who we've worked together at a couple of different companies over the years, and uh, he's always been uh, in in sales, but, you know, big, complex consulting technology sales. But when he, and, he, and he's good at it. But... Um, but when he was young in his career, uh, still learning, he, um, he finally got that meeting with that CFO or CEO, I think it was a CFO at some oil company or, or something or, or that he'd been trying to get this meeting for a long time. He finally got the meeting with the guy and um, walks in, he's already sits down and he looks at the guy and he says, so tell me what keeps you up at night. <laughs> And the guy goes, uh, yeah, she'll validate your parking on the way out. And uh, <laughs> that, that, like, that, my dog. So, <laughs> that was it. It was yeah, over. And, yeah. and, you're, and that's so true. And I have found that I've been doing, you know, as I said, doing this a long time. And business development is different than sales. They're two different act, you know, in, For sure. in yeah. my mind. And you cannot show up with that kind of question and say, well, you know, what, what is it that I can do for you that it can solve? You know, what do yeah. you need to solve? You have to prime the pump. Yes. And you have to be able to say, if we did these things, or I recognize these issues, and here's how we can solve them, tell me how, what right. value that is for you. Right. How would you do it differently, or how does that... That's the conversation. Right, you know? and especially if you could bring into that, this is how some other people have done it. Exactly right. Right, you know, because yeah. we love that. Oil and gas, I mean, it's getting better. I think, I think um, and I'm, I'm looking at the time, we're, we're at the point where... Uh, like I promised you, I would only take up a certain amount of your time, and, and I think I've done that. So, but I think we're getting better, and you've been around. I mean, I know you've been in other industries, but you've been around oil and gas, it sounds yes. like, for a while, right? Yes. So it used to be 
that unless you could say, here's how I've done this at 10 other companies that are exactly like yours, doing exactly the same thing you're doing, like you couldn't really, like they didn't want to hear the conversation. Right. Which um, at the same time, they want to tell you that my business is different from everybody else's, but right. I would like to, for you to have done exactly what I need somewhere else. And that comes from the, the, actually something that's very healthy in the industry, which is the risk avoidance, right? We just can't afford right. to take a lot of risks in this business. So, however, it does seem like in recent years, I'm curious what your experience has been, that that's opening up a little bit. Like we're more, we're more open to hearing how other industries are handling similar problems or how other, like other things that right. were, or we're more open to talking about, okay, well it hasn't really been done yet, but if we work together, we could probably do it. Yeah. It's a great point because you know, oil and gas is, um, uh, an asset and capital intensive business. Right. And so traditionally those businesses have to be more, you know, risk adverse and be very focused. Especially when you bring in safety and, Absolutely. Right, and you know, there's a lot, yeah. there's a lot they have to manage. So, and that's, and that's understood. So I do see oil and gas as, as, is evolving and they realize for probably, you know, a number of different reasons. One of them is the fact that, um, to be competitive, to save money, to operate more efficiency. They're starting to see how mm -hmm. technology, software um, can help them in those areas because they've started to put the, you, when you start to step into it, you start to see the benefits and you want to do more and so forth. The other thing that's important too is that you can, for companies like ourselves and others that we work with, you can show the results of data management, technology advancements in other verticals that, that translate right. right over to an oil and gas space where you can show this is what data management has done in these industries. This is how it translates to oil and gas in these particular situations and where we can help save, yeah. save or develop. And because there are similarities. We're not talking about going from like retail, right? But exactly. when you look at what happens in in manufacturing well, in process manufacturing right. in particular very similar you know scenarios there's there's um you know even things in transportation right we've mentioned right. that before so um so so there are definitely correlations and things very that can be so. learned you think of a refinery you know manufacturing you know there's they are not exactly the same but they are facilities that are being managed with data a lot of yes, data right where do you where can you you know extract data and utilize data same as you said transportation tracking asset tracking monitoring those there are other industries that do very similar use cases that can be yeah. utilized in oil and gas that actually touches on another thing too which um uh I, I sometimes get on a soapbox about, but um, which is, I think that there are some industries that can learn from what from we, oil and gas, yeah, right? Oh, there's no question. We, I, yeah. we see that. Yeah. You know, we have a you know we have a significant oil and gas business. We have a significant business in transportation, forestry, agriculture, um, mining, yeah, uh, construction, yeah. and the, I mean those. The, 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 Mining stuff. The, the use cases that are used across are definitely uh, go yeah. across those industries. You know, where also there's some similarities too. This is my favorite one is like new energy, mm -hmm. where they're trying to solve the problems of how do we take a source of energy and scale it to power mm -hmm. the world. And uh, I'm sure probably some listeners are getting tired of hearing me say this, but I say it you know fairly regularly, which is if you want to solve that problem. 
you should ask the people who solved it the first time because they've got great point because they've got a lot of learning <laughs> a lot of learning things went well right. things didn't right and, and uh, that's yeah. a great point that's, you know. that's a great great strategy yeah i hopefully i don't know maybe it'll, i don't know if it's going to take or not but hopefully um you know maybe we'll learn some things all right i mean just to, to that point though oil gas has got a lot of great iot use cases that have oh been, yeah yeah you know have been out there at the edge and because of safety because of some of the components they have to deal with it makes a lot of sense when things don't go well in oil and gas there's not only safety concerns for people and assets, but there's a great deal, you know, there's a cost factor, a capital factor. So it's, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because it's tremendous. Um, what people don't realize is a lot of times, I think people outside the industry is that one bad decision, you know, you're talking about a lot of zeros at the end of this, right? You're talking about like hundreds of millions of dollars of capital, you know, maybe a billion dollars worth of capital, they could all of a sudden be... Now, I realize that some people don't have any sympathy because we're evil and greedy and we make too much money anyway, right? But there's a lot of, there's a lot hanging on those. You know, that, that money isn't just going into people's pockets. That's what actually makes the lights come on, right? And it employs people so. and things like right. that. So, uh, you know... It's a, um, it's a capital-intensive, labor-intensive yeah. industry. And I think just that. sometimes people don't understand the size, like the numbers. Yeah. You know, or if you want to make it more personal, how about this? Do you want to be the person that goes to your boss and says... Because we made the wrong decision here, mm, this is what's going to happen to our stock price. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's huge. So, uh, all right. Well, um, David, hates. Thank you for uh, making time. I know you're headed out. Um, anything else like like burning on your mind that we didn't get to say before we uh, wrap up? Well, you know, it, it, I'll just say this: is that I appreciate that, Michael. Thank you for having me and so yeah. forth. It's um, it's it's great to be you know, a part of this oil and gas industry for sure. And I think that, you know, as we talked about, um, data management uh, is is just continuing to evolve and grow. And we're we're looking forward to being part of that and working with all the SIs and VARs we've got out there and our end user user customers. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it sounds like you got the right idea about partnering. So uh, yes, we do. So anybody who's looking for uh, yeah, just (laughs) let me know. Love to partner with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and let's stay in touch and maybe um, it'll be interesting. I do like to have people come back from time to time and, and uh, how often do you, do you get to Houston very often? Well, I, I, you know, I haven't been here a lot, but it sounds like there's probably a need for me to get back here on a yeah, regular basis. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So, all right, well, um, have a good trip back. Thank and you. uh, you're going back to, oh, back to I, I left out one of, the, one of the funnest things about this was because when I was doing a little bit of homework on you before, I thought, this is, I, I get to say that the satellite guy is here visiting us in Houston from Jupiter. <laughs> you know what? That's the first time someone said that. To like me. I, yeah. I hadn't thought of it. Then. Yeah, like you're here yeah. from Jupiter, Jupiter, Florida. You're, the, you're Jupiter. the satellite guy. I, I just came in from space. <laughs> Jupiter, Florida, though, which is kind of near Palm Beach, right? It is. Uh, it's yeah. just it's just north. It's part of Palm Beach County, just north. But I did. You know what? I guess that's why I have to start to position myself. You I need to say I'm David space. from Jupiter. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm the satellite guy yeah. from. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks very much. Have a good trip Thanks, back. Michael. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGDN.com.